Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. Today, we're joined by special guest Etchen Van Cruz. Etchen is a former stock trader who specialized in the biologics and pharmaceutical space. He pivoted into crypto and became an angel investor and is a founding partner of the Token Research Group that has advised crypto DeFi leaders like Wanchain. He's an early investor in Bitcoin and is a vocal supporter of transitioning traditional financial products to the blockchain with inclusive cryptocurrency regulations. We are also joined today by my special co-host, Dennis, who most of you will know better as Aperture. Today's episode continues to look into the evolving coronavirus's impact on the world as we know it, and we pull out our crystal balls to gauge how it changes the trajectory of the crypto space as we know it. Our guests have a lot to share with listeners today, and you will not want to miss this episode of The Nest Show. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the ride. What The Nest Show is, this is a podcast brought to you by the Burb Nest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in the Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. All right, guys, welcome to the Nest Show. Today, we are joined by Achen. Achen is a former stock trader, STO and ICO investor, early investor in Bitcoin, and global extraordinaire. Achen, how are you doing today, man? Um, considering the circumstances, could have been too bad. Um, I'm healthy. Um, my family is healthy, so we're good. I'm good. Well, I'm very happy to hear it and happy to hear that you guys are healthy and whole. Today, we are also joined by Dennis, or Aperture, co-hosting with me today. Dennis, thank you so much for being here, man. Good evening. Good to be here again. Etchen, what is your appraisal on world events and your day-to-day, man? How are you affected? It's, it's challenging. But looking at the current markets, um, countries, how they operate, how they go about um, tackling this pandemic, the added effects, the unknown effects with the economy, health structures in healthcare, insurance, um, you name it, security. Before the podcast, you already hinted towards that is how will society be after Corona? Thinking about personal freedoms, um, how countries will tighten certain measures to be prepared for maybe COVID-20 or COVID-21 or whatever. Because these these SARS viruses, um, they've been upgrading in the last few years. Right, we've seen uh, the earlier ones, and I'm not too convinced this is the last one. Looking at that and being a father of two young girls, it's definitely something that would keep you awake at night. I must admit, though, and I was talking about it this afternoon with a good friend of mine. It's definitely exciting times. So there's a lot of fear, but part of me is just uh, okay. The dynamics of the global economy are shifting. We've seen trillions being printed in Washington. We've seen China downplaying their infection numbers. You see dynamic plates moving, and that that, that excites me in in a strange way, right? Um, Maybe I've been watching too much uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, I would say. uh, (laughs) But it's it's exciting. But at the same time, like I said, um, it's uncertainty. The uncertainty, I'm not sure we've ever seen this before. Just three months ago, I was at the World Economic Forum in Davos and um, in Switzerland. And for sure, a pandemic was not on nobody's uh, agenda or Corona was none of the talking points. 
Nobody was talking about Corona. This is how fast this one caught up with us. Definitely interesting time. And uh, I think for the for us as investors in the cryptocurrency space, we'd like to see it as an opportunity for Bitcoin to claim its place in, in, on a global stage. Like we're here, um, this is what we offer the planet, but I'm not too sure about that yet. So we'll get into that, I, I believe, later in the, in the, in the podcast. Uh, yeah, to follow up on your last point there with Bitcoin, I personally think that we will see a, a small bounce, call it a dead cap bounce in equities markets, and then there's going to be continued pain, just in my opinion. And I think that Bitcoin will be affected by that as well as other crypto markets. I think it will be sheltered a little bit more than some of the other markets because most of the flight to cash to cover other positions has already taken place by some of the other institutional players. But you know, still, in until certain times people fly to cash. And I think that we're going to see a lot more pain in equities markets. And that will inevitably affect crypto, in my opinion. And the real test will be what happens after that. That will truly be Bitcoin's time to shine. You know, not so much the near term, but more so six months from now and 12 months from now. 100%. I agree with that take because uh, the whole story is now, okay, what happens after? So now if you say after you kind of coined a certain time period on it, right? So is it six months, a year? What is it? How's the fear? Most, even bit, even crypto traders, I would say most of them, our lives are still dictated by fiat. When we, when we talk about Bitcoin and its monetary value, we talk of USD, which is something I must admit, I still struggle with. The price for Bitcoin is still back to it. If the dollar loses value, Especially now you're seeing different forces. Look at the whole oil trade with Russia, Saudi Arabia and whatnot, um, all these actors. If Bitcoin is going to get its value from USD, it's back to USD, right? When we tweet about it, we talk about it on social media and whatnot. We talk about its USD value. If its USD value is in danger, we would need to go back to those first two sentences in the white paper. It's a peer-to-peer coin. That's the use of it. Right. Obviously, the last couple of years, especially the last two years, uh, the narrative kind of changed towards it's a store of value. Right. So now my fund manager friends are talking to the police like, hey, diverse at least five percent of your risk capital. Put it into Bitcoin. See what happens. Put it into cryptocurrency. See what happens, whether it's Bitcoin, Cosmos, Kava and whatever. But again, if it's a USD value and obviously think of the, the crypto companies, that are pay, having to pay their, their, their employees or their B2B relationships in fiat. What happens there on that front? So I think it's too short in my opinion to just say if fiat goes or we come into a severe depression, Bitcoin is just going to pop up and take away the problems this world is having, our monetary system, our global monetary system is on having currently. I think that jump is to me too quick to think we need to put a little bit more thought into that. If it's a store of value, what happens? How do we go about doing business and transacting um, value on a day-to-day basis? Um, obviously, do we go back to that peer-to-peer aspect of it? Can the network handle that? Um, have we solved our um, governance issues? Um, do we fork every year like we see in the BSV or BCH, whatever? Did we take care of our problems already? We need, to, we need to have those questions answered or at least an attempt to get to a, 
another popular phrase, a, con a proper consensus of what does Bitcoin or the whole cryptocurrency as a whole has to offer the planet. People that, like you said, are going to be in so much pain. Can Bitcoin offer that ease or some salvation for everybody in pain? That question to me is not answered convincingly yet. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, the, the change will take some time. Uh, there, there are some problems with fiat money, and people are talking about hyperinflation and debt rising. But the shift to something like cryptocurrencies um, will take steps because you're not going to replace a whole system uh, with, with debt, with funding, with interest, uh, savings by just switching over to a blockchain. Uh, exactly. Because um, there is a lot of IT infrastructure, uh, mm -hmm. like societal uh, structures around it uh, that we expect to work. And we need to switch to a, a different system on the blockchain. Uh, and I, I think it will take years, maybe a decennia before that will be fully completed. And I think because we're still early, um, how we envision it now will be totally different in the future. Yeah, exactly. Right. So which is which brings me to another point is um, I had a conversation with a former investment banker at a conference in Paris last year. And he made up he, he brought up a great point where he said, um, Dude, I see what's happening. You guys been knocking on it, knocking on the doors, knocking on the walls. Keep doing just that. Don't go screaming on top of the building tops like you, you, you found it. Go back to a popular analogy would be, go back to the, the start of the internet. They didn't start the internet to have Amazon. They didn't envision Amazon in 20 years, where Amazon is right now, right? I think if you go back to, okay, what is, what is the, the value proposition for Bitcoin? Um, if you go back to that and you would compare it to the majority of this planet, how would Bitcoin be an added value? I think that question, ease of use, day-to-day, um, -day, could Bitcoin take, take away tiny piece of that? I, I would be happy already now. To, to, to replace the total financial system? Nah, man. I'm not the one for those uh, hyperbolics. Absolutely. And I do think that you know we're already seeing a good deal of transitioning away, even from cash. China and other countries signaling that cash could possibly be a form of passing contagion of corona and and you know maybe other future contagions. So there's already some propaganda spreading about basically the demonization of cash and moving away from cash to more electronic forms of transfer from a QR code or from another killer app, you know, be it PayPal and Venmo transfers. I think it does provide a nice tandem or a nice complement to traditional fiat transfers transfers. You know, obviously, I, I think that the people who are in crypto right now, anybody who's saying that Bitcoin is going to supplant of Federal Reserve currencies is, is the predominant form of transfer, I think is kidding themselves at best. And we don't need that. We need we do need a multi-trillion dollar market cap for what I think the true value of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to be realized, at least in the next five to 10 year period. But that's not that far away when you count in the parabolic curve that we're starting to see with inflation. That's kind of the brave new world that we're entering into. In your intro, you had a great point that I was really happy to hear where you have a lot of excitement and see a lot of opportunity in this space. 
I love to hear that. And I think that that's so important to filter out all the fear mongering and all the propaganda and say, yes, pragmatically speaking, there are going to be some very difficult times ahead for many people and various forms of exchange are going to become less liquid. What we can do, each one of us, is to be gardeners of our own mind, to take note of whether or not we're feeding into the cycle of fear or whether or not we're cutting through the noise to exact more opportunity and to shore up our own futures. I was very happy to hear you on that wavelength. So you get up in the morning and you would read all your websites, you go to whatever news outlet you favor, you trust. And you, you, you take in all your corona updates or whatever bloodbath is on Wall Street, on the equities markets. After you're done with that and you've done your basics for the day, what, what's next? For some, for some strange reason, through human history, we've always found a way to get through adversity, um, face the challenges and become stronger as a, a, a species. I force myself like for the majority of my day, I want to read, I want to read and be interested in material that would help me build. Because uh, those that prepared during crisis, um, they, they inevitably would come out stronger down the line, right? Um, so I force myself to be in depth, in that energy where I think of, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I hope, I hope um, your listeners, your, your, your community would take up that, that similar approach. Like, hey, um, we're still here. We're going to lose loved ones left and right, um, but we're still here. We, we need to prepare and continue this celebration of life. Yeah, fear contracts and opportunity and hope expands. After this initial jolt of, you know, self-isolating and, and social distancing, whatever you want to call it, after that necessary contraction, we are going to need to find an organic way to harness expansion into opportunities and to assisting our communities and raising each other up. And it starts with each and every one of us as individuals. Dennis, I'd love to bring you in here, man. You know, for one, in the pre-show, Etchin said that up until a couple of weeks ago, he didn't even realize that you were actively trading in crypto. How did you guys meet? I think we met through a course uh, on how to teach uh, at the university. Yes. And we, um, uh, our lecturer was one of the best professors I, I ever had. Um, I yeah, 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 and and I think we we uh, connected because we have a similar mindset. I'm also even in these bad circumstances, I'm I'm looking uh, at it uh, from a positive view. There's much more downside. I, I think it, it will get worse, um, but there will be also a, a maximum opportunity. Yeah, we have to stay inside. Uh, I'm crypto trader, so nothing much has changed, and. Um, but, but that gives some opportunity to reflect on yourself, reflect on your uh, connections you have with people. How do you yeah. think these will evolve? Um, people are reaching out to friends and family. They, they haven't connected in a while uh, to, to check up uh, if, if they're, they're still healthy or doing okay. People are uh, trying to get some exercise and, and being creative. You see all these kinds of videos on YouTube um, that brings people together on a, like, um, a global level. And also uh, on a personal level, I am looking more into trading, more into programming because I have some more free time left 
Uh, so I, I think with that view, we, we, we still connect and uh, we're still uh, having conversations uh, about trading. And even if we fail, I think that's also a part of it. I, we both realize we can fail, but then we still had fun. We, we enjoyed yeah. ourselves. We, we had yeah. some passion for um, yeah. finding stuff out and experimenting with new stuff. But for every 10 experiments, and I think this is, is maybe a good bridge for going towards angel investing and ICOs, for like every 10 opportunities you try to take, most of them fail. But you mm-hmm. learn something from it, and the ones that don't fail will bring uh, the most experience, maybe the most uh, income, and that's why I enjoy it. It's, it's just playing the probabilities, uh, because if you try enough, eventually you will succeed. Coming back on your points there, Dennis, with the angel investment and Etchin's experience as an STO and ICO investor, Etchin, I wanted to draw out a little bit more of your experience in the ICO space and that kind of wild, wild west and how that's evolved and kind of how it's brought you to where you are today. Oh, man. Um, the thing is, is that uh, me and a group of guys started looking into projects and um, Neo, it was called Endshares back then. If, if I want to show you the Endshares website right now, in this day and age, you'll be like, this is a scam or this is total nonsense. But for some strange reason, it was the standard of the day. We started investing um, and obviously we got the wave up, took some profit off the table as any investor in the market. We could have taken out more, but we're happy. And like I said, coming from um, equities markets, I have that approach of, digging into startups. So digging into startups or being a short trader and value investing uh, on the financial markets, it's that you you get this habit of digging into stuff, looking at looking at numbers. Okay, we don't have numbers. Um, digging it, looking at the team, have a call with the team. Most I would say 90% of in, 90% of investments we did, we had a face-to-face meeting with the founders. Face to face, like we're never going to send money if we didn't have a, a meeting person in person. I don't care if they're in China, Korea, San Francisco or whatnot. So it was a whole lot of traveling, obviously, in 17 and the greater parts of 2018. Talking to this project. So now um, that hyped that down because that no money, that, that, that influx obviously reached its peak in December 17. And for some strange reason, uh, all of us, we were under the impression the price is going up because blockchain, because this is value. It represents the value of the blockchain, this code, this beautiful code on GitHub, which was weird in a bubble. So obviously when the market corrected, and remember in April 18, the market had a, a small bounce, as you correctly described, the dead cat bouncing. And one of my partners, also an equity trader, he was like, dude, I don't trust this. I don't trust this. Go look at the chart. April 18, the market went back up and everybody got exposed thinking we're going back to all-time highs. And that's the moment we were like, okay, I think we need to pull out, pull out, uh, pull out a lot. My father-in-law was screaming that, day in, day out, because obviously he had seen the dot-com boom, right? Where every website was half a billion's worth, right? Um, it's like, dude, get out, get out. He was he was screaming at him. And obviously me being 
a believer. I was like, nah, and uh, especially Ethereum is going to overtake Bitcoin. That was the narrative of the day. So 18, markets died down. And obviously, um, December 18, when Bitcoin went from 6K, I believe, to 3,500, um, everybody was like, like, okay, we're going to zero, right? Um, what now? Um, so when the markets recovered to 45, that's when we decided to get in with, get our feet sweat, um, like, okay, what's happening here? But obviously we wish we, we got it done more. But the whole influx of new money also dried up the influx of new projects and new credible nice projects. There were still a few out there, looking at Cava out of San Francisco, um, Ferrum out of New York. Um, there was still value there. Grin, great open source project. You had still value out there. So, but it was obviously harder to get into. Um, so that was the, the the nature of it. But it had also um, taught us new ways of, of fundraising on a global scale. Right. I went to a meetup in Amsterdam with a couple of guys from that work in the, the banking industry. They said, we're looking at crypto as how to do fundraising for our small businesses, right? These small businesses come in, they ask for a 50K loan, and we on the risk management team know a 50K loan is, is going to do jack shit for such a startup. What is 50K, right? It's 50K on marketing alone, right? Um, so they're like, okay, how can we structure this to do these fundraising um, on a global scale, um, how do, how, what, what type of regulations do you need to get this in place and up and running? So that, that was definitely something that crypto opened our eyes that you could raise money from any investor in Korea for your startup in South, South Africa, right? Imagine that it was global, cross borders, cross regulations. One of the topics, uh, along with that is um, the internet already um, started this wave, but uh, the thing that amaze, amazes me the most about this crypto and underlying blockchain industry is the, the challenges it poses to governments and nation states. Because regulations for whom, right? It, it's, it's even harder for a government to maintain and control the citizens under its ruling Right, but now you come up with the internet. People can do commerce across borders. So now we're we're introducing autonomous networks. I think that is going to add another layer or ten layers of complexity. Like, okay, whose rule do you follow? Right, whose whose um, rules and regulations do apply right now? Right, and I think that's even a bigger complex question um, to just go like, okay, regulation, like, dude, who? Even within the EU, um, the Dutch government might have a different approach to the Belgian government, right? And now we want to have autonomous networks. I think that's going to set off a whole new wave of um, complexities that we, we still need to think of and obviously have an have a open conversation because it affects our, our, our both life, even whether you're into crypto or outside of crypto or you don't want to play with it, you don't want to mess with it. It, it, still, it still has an effect in our daily lives, um, especially because I still believe bullish on it. It's going to grow. It keeps growing. Um, but how it's going to interact and 
play along with current systems. Um, it's definitely going to be something uh, we need to think of uh, for short and long term. I'm very interested in how you think governments will do these regulations because every, every time uh, a new technology comes, um, like the internet, the government is lagging with, with regulations oh, or laws about it. Mm -hmm. How do you think they will catch up? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Actually, I had a conversation. I was in the process of writing a book about it, actually. I had a conversation with a law professor and she's advising the Dutch government in laws and regulations, for instance. Go back 20 years, 20 years ago, email wasn't considered evidence in a court of law, right? They were like, okay, what is this? And she advised the government like, hey, dude, if you and I have a, an agreement on email, it's technically on paper. So that, that insight to us or a millennial generation be like, duh, but... I guess if you're in the government, you're like, nah, take your time, let's think about it. So obviously what you're saying there, technology, or let, let's put it this way, GitHub moves faster than the law, right? Always. So coming back to blockchain and autonomous networks, how they will catch up, I guess the first options they have, the first option they have is they could close uh, fiat gateways. If, if you're... If your currency is under threat from a cryptocurrency or you want to keep track of uh, money laundering or whatever, you, I guess you would close um, every fiat gateway, right? Because that, that's for long. Um, and I had another conversation with a government agent talking about, dude, uh, we have a task force that solely focus on crypto exchanges. The hair on my neck is just standing up with something like, dude, what? And he goes on to say, um, we, we do analysis on crypto exchanges, right? And they look at the security, they look at um, KYC, they look at money coming in, they mapped out all the blockchains that are connected to various exchanges. Uh, while you and I are going around, crypto is the future, crypto is this, they're watching us. So obviously the first option they have is close that gateway as a knee-jerk reaction of how do we maintain this animal is growing in size and it's a threat to us. It's a threat to our power structures, right? By the way, uh, to quote the gentleman, nine out of 10 crypto exchanges are not safe. But that's another podcast. That's another podcast. Coming from that angle, because a government, what a government essentially want, they want to have an, uh, an overview and control of the flow of money. And if you want to go dark with your financials, even if you're not into illicit actions or activities, they want to have an insight in how your money flows. And go back to your earlier point, Ben, um, where cash is under threat, cash is disappearing. Digital money is the best tracking tool. So while we go, well, we have crypto, the blockchain, wallet to wallet, peer to peer. I'm like, dude, relax for a minute. It's perfect to track. Chain analysis could, could show you anything. Put it all on the table, spill it out on the table. Like, hey, you made these transactions. So cash, governments, flow of money, that's, that's ultimately the control of a country. To answer your question of how they would respond, um, if crypto grows in size, they will have to react, like uh, control it. And the best way, the best opportunities for them is either you shut down exchanges 
shut down bank accounts, shut down the fiat gateways. And, um, and I hope, obviously, we don't get to that point. So we obviously um, need to have that conversation. Actually, also, I was at a panel meeting in Davos where the CEO of Ripple said, actually, to the crowd at that meetup, they want to work with authorities. He actually said, uh, don't quote me on this, like, if you think the U.S. government is going to give away their control of uh, monetary systems, financial systems, and give away the dollar, you're crazy. They have F F-16s and, uh, and decks. I was like, okay, thanks for that. I needed that reminder that it's, uh, it's not child's play, right? Um, it's not the Boy Scouts we're talking about here. The response is obviously, the first knee-jerk reaction I see is the power play. And obviously next to that, um, I would say the blockchain in itself as a technology could offer obviously supply chain or whatever, um, great opportunities for businesses, um, individuals, whatnot, obviously, but that's been documented um, in what way blockchain is a added value to the economy and businesses and our business processes. But the first one, a currency, the main topic uh, in how we view Bitcoin, is it a currency, whether it's BSV, whether it's BNB, whether it's Tether, for instance, right? Our good friend uh, Tether, USDT. If we grow in size, government governments will respond. And it could be a, a, a kiss on the cheek or they'll cut our head, heads off. I think that you uh, hit it on the head with chain analysis that basically they'll use it to track funds and tax them like they would any other income. At the end of the day, power is power. And we aren't going to circumvent that with a quote unquote decentralized network. We'll have a little bit of a leveling of the playing field by way of personal wallets or ledgers that can be moved on someone's person without having to lug around, say, gold bars or having your personal bank account frozen. That is one of the undeniable value propositions that Bitcoin and that cryptocurrency offers. At the end of the day, there is the undeniable relationship between fiat on ramps and off ramps that will be tracked and traced at one point or another. You can just count on it. The most disruptive aspect actually comes outside of the cryptocurrency world altogether, and that's quantitative easing and escalating inflation. Just looking at Bitcoin in a vacuum, a deflationary asset that's easily transferable, decentralized, yada, yada, against an escalating inflationary asset or currency, I think that's the main disruptor that I'm seeing unfold now is loosening monetary policy, drifting more and more towards hyperinflation and destabilizing even further third world countries and emerging markets. I've seen a few like I follow follow a few people on uh, whether it's YouTube. Um, you watch, you listen to these podcasts because obviously it's interesting times, and obviously we have people at home. We have so much spare time. We think about this stuff, right? Well, what is the place for Bitcoin? What is the case for Bitcoin um, in a world where um, the U.S. government just printed six trillion? And actually, one of the directors at the Fed said in an interview, "Well, we press a button and there's money." I'm like, wow. Right to hear him just say that out loud, we just it's just a button on a computer. I'm like wow, right? So now, um, what I would add is Bitcoin offers a beautiful option. The simple question would be then, if you're an asset manager or whatever, do you want to be fully exposed 
to this six trillion injection, this hyperinflation? Or do you want to park some of your money into this new asset, right? And it has a particular um, use value we can transact. Um, by the way, if you look at BSV, they're already building projects on top of BSV. Obviously, the one whose name I dare not say, but they're actually building projects and startups on BSV. And my approach is have an open mind. I look at what's happening and there is actually stuff happening. So just simply by having larger blocks. But Bitcoin offers, again, an option. I guess if we're talking about freedom and you have people trapped in just one monetary system with all their value, all your assets, your family belongings, um, your family security, and you're in the euro or you're under the dollar or look at what happened in Japan in the 80s. The option is nice to have. It's a wonderful thing to have. Like, hey, dude, put it into Bitcoin, put 10 Bitcoin on a wallet and don't look at it. Put it in a wallet and forget about it, right? Safely store it, obviously. Get help where needed, but make sure you have that. Obviously, I would offer my top eight coins I would put on a wallet and forget about it, right? But I would say the option for Bitcoin is, is the, the case for Bitcoin is exactly that. And that, that excites me. And, and the fact that it triggered a new generation that wants to think about currency exchange of value. And it's growing. It's growing. Um, and I'm actually in the process, as we're talking about building stuff, I'm actually in the process of uh, a startup with uh, my best buddy. And we're going to teach children how to code, right, in elementary school. I guess one of those, those kids will think about, hey, can we program money? That's one of the questions we're going to have on the course. Can we program money? What is money? Because obviously you want the eight-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds to think about these subjects. Because they're, they're going to shape tomorrow when you and I are obviously going to be on the beach of uh, Copacabana doing whatever, right? Yes, the, sir. The, gener <laughs> the generation of the, 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 the kids, they, they, I'm not sure whatever label we're going to plaster on them, like it's generation XYZ or whatever. But they have to think about these, these, these topics, like what is money to you? Is it programmable? How do you exchange value um, across borders, across nations? Um, um, how do we deal with middlemen, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we wanna, we wanna have that conversations with young ones. And, um, and also I think kids growing up today, they might not need a, a resume in the future, but your employer might ask you, show me your GitHub. Right. What can you do? Before we let you go, I would love to uh, cue our listeners in on something that we spoke about right before the episode started. And that was a survey that you released to uh, 30 of your, your friends and followers. And uh, the question posed was, if you had to hold an asset in crypto for three years without touching it, uh, what would it be? What's a short list of some of those answers? It was actually eight. Yeah, the question, the thing is, in, in these times, you're like, okay, what are people thinking about, right? So I have friends, I'm in a few different Telegram groups or Discord groups, and I sent a copy-pasted a message to 30 guys, um, kind of like a sentiment, like survey analysis, like, hey guys, if you had a million dollars right now, free, 
and you have to put it in maximum eight digital assets and you put it on a ledger or whatever store, whatever wallet, and you couldn't touch it for three years, what would it be? First answer I got, dude, eight is too much, right? Eight is too much. I couldn't name five, right? It's too much. It's too much risk, too much diversification. Like, okay, dude, whatever suits you. Um, so you're getting stuff like, uh, obviously, 40% Bitcoin, 50% Bitcoin, Ethereum. Um, top of the list, the answers I've got, Ethereum, Bitcoin, um, BNB, Tesos, um, Cosmos, Polkadot, uh, what else? But basic attention token. Uh, some, of, some of those bigger infrastructure. I've seen nice... Uh, I've chain seen, link. Chain link, yeah, for sure. Everybody... Uh, Everybody that responded to the survey had Chainlink in there in, on the list, and um, which is which shows you the uh, the community they've managed to uh, to capture. I wanted to give you the opportunity to summarize or, or leave our listeners with any closing thoughts. Dennis, why don't we start with you, man? What would you like to leave our listeners thinking on? Well, it's it's weird times, um, and with the market going up and down, uh, especially Bitcoin. Um, you have to see the bigger picture, and uh, there is often a narrative that Bitcoin uh, is a hedge, and sometimes there is a neg- narrative that it's a risk asset. And at the moment, it's behaving as a risk asset. Uh, we see it going down. It's correlated with the SP500, um, but with all the money printing uh, going on. And if you f- if you find that magic computer button, please send it to me. But um, people will understand more about inflation and the quantitative easing part. And I think they will will look for other options. The funny thing, before the SP500 dropped, I heard multiple of my friends looking for a way to invest in the stock market. And that's typically something they do at the top of a stock market. Retail is going into uh, these investments. Buy high, sell low. But buy high, sell low. And I think they will look for another opportunity because why they did this is because their interest rate in the bank was very low. If they understand it's their money is going to be less worth uh, in a couple of years uh, and even less worth with hyperinflation, they will seek for uh, other opportunities like Bitcoin. Um, coming back to how the space will uh, evolve... I want to, um, i do not not sure if it's quoting, but uh, Hegel, uh, a, a scientific uh, philosopher, um, uses the, the words thesis, antithesis, uh, synthesis. And what we're seeing is, is like a thesis, uh, a statement against the financial system. Uh, there is an antithesis, and that's the financial system. And it, it's never one of of the two, uh, they will somehow converge into uh, a single option, and that will take years. And that's where we will have the synthesis. We probably take the best, or try to take the best of both worlds, and uh, evolve in uh, the financial space. That's a beautiful point, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. What about you, H? And what would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, first, I would say, man, um, whatever the circumstances. Um, Touching on our earlier earlier parts of the podcast of the conversation is remain in 
the area of building and ideas, 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 ideas. Um, get together, talk about it, build, build, build. Um, have ideas, discuss ideas, shoot them down, but stay in the area of ideas. Um, next is, um, I guess, um, crypto over the whole generation, um, the opportunity as far as trading goes and investing to, to consider money management. Um, and the way their finance, the way you go about your finances. Um, I guess you guys are doing a great job with, the, with your community on that. Um, Dennis told me all about it, so um, congrats. And lastly, I would say this is an article on the Financial Times by Israeli writer Jufal Harari. You guys heard of that book, Sapiens? Wonderful book where you try to plot the whole history of mankind. He wrote an article in the Financial Times of uh, where that, that would force us. The central theme of the article is um, how is the world going to be after Corona? And the way we're giving away personal liberties, um, just being under fair is staggering. Uh, we need to think about that stuff. Um, so it's a great conversation to have with friends, family, um, loved ones. Um, how is the world going to be? So not just Corona, as far as privacy, governments, power, whatever, but it would fall in line with um, what's the place for Bitcoin in all of this? What's the place for digital assets, cryptocurrencies and all of that? I think it's a great uh, conversation starter and uh, you could go on for days. Um, Set up webinars. Set up webinars. Uh, we definitely uh, love to join. We need. We, I think. I think we need. We need, and we have to. Just like in the old Greece, if we're talking about philosophers and Hegel, uh, I get what what those guys would do is come together and have those conversations, right? Talk about these difficult topics um, and find your way. Find the best arguments. Um, work your way out there. Um, I think thinking as an exercise, as we spend so much time on social media and whatnot, um, um, spend some time and get together and discuss topics, um, like pose arguments and learn. Um, I, I would say that was my closing remarks. Right on, man. And thank you so much for sharing that. Remain in light, harness your mind, think on the things that you want to cultivate more of because you will inevitably go in that direction. Awesome. Dennis, Ben? Thank you so much and uh, catch you guys on the flip side. Right on. Thank you so much for being here. And Dennis, you as well, man. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Very thank good. you all for being on the show. Cheers, guys. That's The Nest Show. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks. That's about it for today's episode of The Nest Show. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We invite you to connect with our guest on Twitter, where Etchen can be reached at H-E-T-T-A-L-E-N-T-C-T-C. Aperture is at Ape underscore R-T-U-R-E. And I am at Benjamin T1717. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at theburbnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at theburbnest.com slash discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at theburbnest.com slash bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestro at theburbnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you. 
and trade on.